This is a scripture reading from John 17, verses 15 through 18 and 25 through 27. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there, warming himself, so they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Here ends the lesson. Please be seated. Well, as Pastor Tammy uh, prayed at the beginning of our service, our prayers do go out um, to the families of the victims of uh, the shooting in Aurora and... um, the families of the police officers as well. Uh, Maybe some of you know uh, people that were affected by that, but it affects us all uh, as we are community together. So our prayers continue for them. Sorry. (laughs) This, uh, the title of this series is called Made Perfect in Weakness. And uh, we are, that title comes from a passage of scripture by the Apostle Paul, and that is in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And there, the Apostle Paul is uh, talking about his weaknesses, and he talks about this thorn that he said was placed in his life uh, that is bothering him, that is causing uh, disruption, that is a difficulty, that is this pain in his life. We don't know what that thorn was. There's no indication of what that was. But it's, it served the purpose, Paul said, of, of encouraging him in his humility. And so in this uh, passage that is the background for this title of our series, uh, that is what the background is. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 8, Paul writes, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take, it, <clears throat> to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This series, we have been looking at not just our weaknesses, but upon God's power that is so well displayed amidst our weaknesses. And so in the first week, we looked at God's power made perfect when I make mistakes, 
You and I make mistakes. We mess up. We sin. We break God's commands. We sin against God. We sin against one another. We harm one another in various ways through our words, through our actions. How is God's power made evident at those times? Last week, Pastor Tim talked about God's power made perfect in my sufferings. We all have sufferings of various sorts and degrees. And Pastor Tim really dealt about the internal sufferings that we may have, and spiritual sufferings and psychological sufferings as well. This week we look at God's power made perfect in my weakness when I deny my faith. Now when I think about that word deny something, I think about denying that I did something. And we've all been there if we admit it, right? We, d- we claim to be not guilty of something we knew very well we were. And uh, how, we, how do we get away with this? I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't want the consequences. I don't want to feel the guilt. And so we may deny that we did something. Kids are especially good at doing this. Let's take a look at a few of those kids. You're telling me you haven't ate any candy today? Mm-mm. I haven't. You can have one more time to tell me the truth. Really, I haven't. And what is all over your face? Blue? Oh. Well, I forgot that I ate that just once. Uh-huh. I totally forgot. Yeah. Hey, Sam. What did you get into? Samuel, did you get into mommy's? No. No, you didn't, huh? Those aren't mom's address stickers? Hmm. Did you put that in your mouth? No! Are you sure? I, I think not you that. did. It's not that. Are you sure? Did you put this in your mouth? No! <laughs> Let you, me see. Look are at you me. lying to me? Are you sure you're not lying? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Kind of hard to deny that you did it, ate the blue candy when there's blue all over your face. Well, maybe kids aren't the best at it, uh, getting away with it. But, you know, that can become uh, more serious as we get older and we deny culpability for something. I mean, we do that maybe with friends or family or we just, you know, don't want to deal with it or don't want to deal with the consequences. Um, it's much more serious, though, when we uh, deny culpability, like, no, officer, I wasn't speeding. Or, really, judge, I didn't do it. And we're under oath. That's a very serious time um, to deny something when, in actuality, maybe we had a little bit to do with it. Another way of thinking about denying something is to deny someone or to disavow them. To disavow is to to break ties, to to say, I am not connected to that person. I disapprove of them. I disown them. That can be a very painful thing to go through. If you have been on the receiving end of someone disavowing you, a friend or a family member. 
Or if you yourself have maybe felt like you had to do that. I have to cut ties with this person because of their actions or whatever they're doing. Sometimes we may disavow someone, though for various and different reasons. Peter was one who disavowed someone. Peter was Jesus' right-hand man, one of the first disciples that was chosen. And they were together, Peter and the other disciples were together with Jesus at this last meal that they would share together, the Last Supper. And at that Last Supper, Jesus was praying for his disciples and telling them about what was to come and giving them these last instructions. And at that meal, Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And they began to talk among one another. Who can it be? How can this be? Peter was a very passionate person and was dedicated, uber dedicated to Jesus. And so Peter said and declared his allegiance to Jesus right then and there and said, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. And I'm sure Peter believed it. Later in his life, he would. But as we know, the story goes a different direction. Jesus says to him, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Well, it came to pass later that evening. Jesus was arrested, taken into custody by the authorities, and taken before the high priest. And Peter and another disciple followed. The other disciple knew some of the people that were in the priest's courtyard, and so he was let in. They had to kind of you know, do the friend thing, like, yeah, he's okay, and let Peter in. And as Peter was being let into that courtyard, he was confronted for the first time. You were one of his disciples, I am not. And again, as he was warming himself by the fire, you are one of the people that was there with Jesus, are you not? I am not, Peter said. I don't know the man. And later, by a relative of the Roman guard whose ear he had cut off, Peter was again confronted and said, you were in the garden with him. But he denied it. The expression there, it, it just seemed a little odd to me um, in the English, the way that the question was asked and responded to. And so I, I looked at the Greek, and the Greek for um, I am not is ouk amin. Let's show that. Let me get that. There we go. Ouk amin. And that's literally, uk is not, me is I am. So uk me. Now, Peter didn't speak in Greek, but this is the way the story is told. And this is the language that was written down in the Gospel of John. Uk me. Now, there's an interesting, and it literally it would be not I am. So Peter was confronted and he said, not I am. 
Now, this is an interesting thing in the Gospel of John because there are various places throughout the Gospel of John where Jesus uses a similar expression that's a little bit different to talk about himself. And he says, Ego, Amy, which is I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Ego, Amy. That expression, I am, takes us back to the Old Testament. Remember Moses in the burning bush? And Moses approached this burning bush, and lo and behold, there's a voice coming out of it, and it's the voice of God. And the voice of God says to Moses, let my people go. You are going to go before uh, the, the Egyptians and before the very Pharaoh himself, and you are going to be the one to say, let my people go. You are going to be the one through whom I am going to declare and deliver this freedom. <laughs> Moses is like, dude, I'm just a shepherd here. You got the right person? I, I have a speech impediment, and you want me to be your voice? And so he says, give me your authority. And there's authority and a name. Who is it that I should say sent me? And the voice of God said, Yahweh, Yahweh, which is Hebrew for I am, Ego, Amy. So whenever we hear this phrase, Ego, Amy, that Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I am, then the people that would have heard that would have automatically gone to the name of God, Yahweh, who God is, and that story of Moses and the burning bush. And so every time Jesus said that phrase, Ego, Emi, he was declaring himself one with God the Father, Yahweh. What does Peter say? Not I am. Peter would be the one upon whom the church was founded, who, upon whom this movement would continue. He was a, a person of influence and power and authority and one who people looked up to after Jesus had been raised and ascended to the Father. But what do we see in John? Not I am. Peter, with all of his authority, Peter, with all that he has done, Peter, who carries this declaration from Jesus, you are the rock. Peter was originally called Simon. Jesus renames him Peter, rock. And on this rock I will build my church. This person of authority is not I am. There is one I am. And it is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Peter, on the other hand, denies knowing Jesus. But why does he deny it? 
Is it because he doesn't believe in Jesus anymore? Is it because he, he suddenly had a change of heart that suddenly he thought, maybe Jesus isn't the Messiah. Maybe I've been just dedicating myself full force to this for the last several years, following this guy around. Maybe he's really not who he says he is. Is that why he denied knowing Jesus? Did he deny the acceptance of God's love and God's truth in his life? Or was it something else that was at work? Another reason, perhaps, that Peter denied Jesus. Certainly, fear was at work in him. When someone denies their faith, turns their back maybe on their faith, when perhaps we have a loved one who has gone away from the church or gone away from the faith or turned their back on God or declared, yeah, I don't really believe that anymore. Or perhaps when we ourselves have been at that point somewhere along the way and we have denied our faith, we have to look at what is it really that we are denying? And what is it really that they're denying? And is it their faith and is it God and is it what God has for them that they're turning their back on? There's something else at work. Ryan grew up in a uh, religiously strict, I mean strict, narrow box home. His father, in particular, had a very small set of parameters that his family had to operate within. And so Ryan, uh, as a young child, would participate uh, in various activities, um, some that were benign, but others that he just didn't understand. And nor was he really taught the reason why they did certain things or thought certain ways or believed certain things. He was just told, this is what you need to do. This is the box that you need to fit into. And so as Ryan got into those teenage years, te parents of teenagers, can I get an amen? He began to uh, define himself over and against what his upbringing. As he began to define himself apart from his parents and his parents' faith, and in particular his father's narrow version of faith, he and his father began to butt heads. And that continued after he left home. And as he had that freedom now, away from his father and his father's narrow confines, he began to learn more about himself and, and discover a way of life that was life-bringing to him and, and a way that connected him in ways that he had never experienced to those around him as well. But his father kept at him. And many of his communications with his father were about this narrow 
box that he had to fit into. And his father didn't agree with his life choices and things that he was doing. He didn't fit the box. And so one day his father called him up and said, "Um, Son, I just wanted to let you know, um, I've discovered a a passage uh, in Scripture that says I can no longer be around you. I can no longer eat with you. I can no longer... Uh, be, you know, in your presence. We can't uh, be together. Now, if you get into a really difficult circumstance or there's emergency, I want you to call, but otherwise, you're cut off. He disavowed him. And Ryan was like, all right, I'm done. I'm out too. Now, they've had uh, some interactions since, but always tense, always short, and not very life-giving. Understandably, Ryan has turned away from the faith that he was brought up with. Understandably, he has gone a different direction. But has he really turned away from faith? Has he really turned away from God? Has he really turned away from believing that there is a God who can be there and who loves him? Or has he just never had the experience of that? Only this warped experience of faith that was presented to him in this very small, tight package. We can know people, maybe we ourselves have had experiences like that, where faith has been presented in such a way that we don't want anything to do with that. Or perhaps others in our life that said, I don't want anything to do with that. But is it God, really, that they are walking away from, or just their understanding and concept of God that has been presented to them in this very tight, narrow box, lacking mercy, compassion, grace, and love. Perhaps we could learn from Jesus here. Perhaps we can learn from Jesus' response to Peter. Peter denied Jesus. He said, I am not one of the disciples. Not I am. I am not. You did not see me with him. I don't know him. He denied Jesus outright. Jesus would have had every reason to disavow Peter. What happened? After Jesus died on the cross, he was raised again. He appears to his disciples. And in this scene, he appears to his disciples uh, on the lake shore of the Sea of Galilee, this place that they knew so well. Many of them were fishermen. This is the place that they hung out. This is where they did life together. This is where Jesus taught them. And here, Jesus has breakfast for them. That's awesome. Thanks, Jesus. In John 21, if you've got a Bible there with me, I invite you to join me. The last chapter of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. 
It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times Peter had denied Jesus. Three times said, I am not the man. I am not one of his followers. I don't know him. Three times Jesus asked him, do you love me? Three times Peter responded, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Three times Jesus told Peter, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Why did Jesus do this? Was it to, you know, kind of mess with Peter a little bit? Like, I'm going to get back at you? Was he seeking an apology? I don't think so. Jesus had already forgiven Peter on the cross. I don't think he was testing Peter either, seeing if his faith was true, if his dedication was true. Jesus knew, as Peter pointed out, knew his love for him. Rather, I think what Jesus was doing here was reinstating Peter to his position as the rock. As the one upon whom he would build his community. This group of people that followed in faith and served one another in love. I think what Jesus was doing was relieving Peter's conscience of the burden of having denied the Lord whom he said that he loved. I think what Jesus was doing was restoring Peter's heart. This is good news. This is good news for you and for me. This is good news for those who have denied their faith at some point. This is good news for those who have been hurt in the past and because of that turned away from the church, the community, their faith, their God. Because what it says is that God's mercy and grace is wider than our sin. And his love is deeper than our denial. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, your mercy and your grace are wide, and your love is deep. For that, we thank you. Lord, we desire to follow you faithfully. We desire for others to do that too. But there are times when things happen in our lives. There are things that happen in the, uh, in the lives of others that cause us, that cause them to turn away from you. That cause us to say, I don't know you. I am not one of your followers. I am not a part of that. Lord, at those times, may we recognize that in others. May we recognize that in ourselves and know that perhaps what we are turning away from is something else. It's something other than you. Lord, help us to turn to you, to know you. Lord, we are not always faithful followers. But help us to turn to you. For you are. I am. Amen.